Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You may be seated as we pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful, it is sharp, it cuts to the heart of the matter. We're thankful, Father, for the reproof that it gives, the encouragement that it gives. We're thankful that it changes lives. We praise you and thank you for that. And Father, I pray that as Pastor Stephen comes forward this morning that He'll not be seen or heard, but he'll be a vessel that brings us the living water, that brings us the truth of the word. And Lord, I pray that as we sit in the pews that we will not desire to be entertained, but we will seek to be changed. We will seek to grow. We will seek in our hearts to be challenged. That the Holy Spirit may invade our thoughts. Lord, we just pray for Veronica. She goes off and uh, keep her safe, grow her. Lord, uh, Brian will be leaving in a few weeks. We ask that you'd prepare him and prepare the way for him and give him safety as he travels. Father, we just ask that you would be honored and glorified by their lives. We're thankful for both of them and how you have used them in our lives. Father, I thank you for a death, a burial, and a resurrection. I thank you for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your Bible, let me invite you to open them up to the book of um, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. If you're using a pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 1258, 1258. It's nice to hear the pages turning, isn't it? Well, uh, as you're turning there, if you spend your next year with us coming to church, you will have listened to 126 sermons or Bible lessons. That's including Wednesday night and communion. It's quite a bit, isn't it, Uh, as you think about it? Many of you also will spend and have spent this past year much time or a lot of time dealing with listening to podcasts and 
other preachers, maybe you listen to the speakers at Camp of the Woods that the summer, and so you're, you're continually being influenced and spoken to by many venues and many speakers as they speak into your lives, the, the Word of God or truth or uh, whatever it may be. Now consider the impact of that, not just on you, but on, on the world in general, at large, on America, the, the amount of teaching and, uh, and voices that are going out nonstop in our world due to the advancement of technology. We have it at our fingertips. It's not just turning on a TV station or a radio station at a certain time. We have apps on our phone, and uh, we have uh, other div- social media and YouTube and other, other venues by which we continually have access to to teaching or influence like that uh, of that sort nonstop. In some ways that's good um, because of the amount of good teaching and solid things that are going out. In other ways that's a it's like poison too isn't it? You have both the good the bad and the ugly in that scenario I think. I think one of the things that's been a blessing and profitable this year, though we, we've seen uh, hindrances as church has been closed and um, all the restrictions that's been put on us, and, and I do want to reiterate that I do not think virtual church is an adequate, sustainable substitution for the body of Christ. It isn't the body of Christ meeting together, praying together, encouraging one another, exhorting one another and and what we see even here this morning. Uh, having said that, while it is not a substitute, it has provided an avenue for the Word of God to continually be spread out everywhere. Uh, as you've looked at social media, I know uh, beginning of this year when the church has been closed, uh, it seemed like on Sunday everyone's sharing something from their pastor or this church or that church or whatever, and it has provided a lot of access and and I think that many people who have never heard the gospel or don't normally go to church have heard the word of God preached and so with the apostle Paul as he says in Philippians as long as Christ is being preached I rejoice do I like the means necessarily not always but nevertheless Christ is being preached and we should we should rejoice my aim this morning is is to look at how do we listen to the Word of God. How do we listen to the Word of God? And I think you'll see that in our text. I want to begin reading for us as you have your Bible open in front of you, uh, beginning in verse number 11. And we'll read down to verse number 22. The Bible says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this time. We just pray that you would open our eyes so that we may see, our ears that we may hear. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. As we look at this passage, it is it is notably been stated as a an exhortation to the church as they live their life in community, live their life together. It's very evident in verses 12 through 15 as they begin laboring among one another and exhorting, admonishing, encouraging one another. And as they bear with one another with patience, something we need to be reminded of in our day, to be patient towards everyone, forgiving one another. Well, it's very practical instructions for us because if you live together at any length of time, you know that we need to forgive one another, right? Uh, that is something we need to practice. And he goes on in what we've looked at the past three weeks, giving us these three short exhortations that we're to always rejoice and we're to always pray and to give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will in Christ Jesus for you. This is God's will for Christ Jesus for you. But he continues, I believe, in verses 19 through 22 to instruct us as we live together, namely how we listen and hear the word of God. And I want to look at verses 19 and 20 at the attitude in which we're to have as we consider preaching and teaching or even encouraging in the body of Christ. The attitude which we have to the spoken or notice he begins this by saying that we are not to quench the Spirit. We're not to quench the Spirit. Now you may be familiar with the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4 and verse number 30, where the, Paul writes that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit, whereby uh, we are sealed for the day of redemption. In the context of Ephesians 4, Paul is addressing the church and saying that we're not to live in such a way to where we're put, or put the Holy Spirit to grief by our actions or by our conduct. And you could turn there with me. We'll look at it just for a moment just to give us some context for that instruction. The book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. Just a few books earlier. We begin reading in verse number 25 of that chapter. Paul is dealing with us putting off the old man or the carnality of the flesh. He's putting off that, that way of living which reflects of being unconverted, unregenerate, or, or lost in your sinful state. As he reads back in chapter number 2, being dead in trespasses and sin. So he says, having put this off, and so he's dealing with these kind of traits. Verse number 29, he continues his uh, teaching is saying, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to the hearer. And there we find our verse, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You can turn back with me to 1 Thessalonians, showing that this grieving which Paul gives to us in Ephesians has to do with us living in carnality or living contrary to the work of the Spirit of God in our life, conforming us to the image of Christ by our conduct and by our actions. We're not to grieve the Holy Spirit, how we interact with one another. What could also be said uh, here in First Thessalonians chapter number five, 
uh, in verse number 19 that we're not to quench the Holy Spirit. He has already spoke about certain things throughout Thessalonians whereby our actions and how we're to interact with one another, we can easily quench the Holy Spirit. The statement means to put out the fire, to kind of smother uh, the work of the Holy Spirit among you. But in connection with verse number 21, it has not only to do with just in general terms of putting out the fire of the Holy Spirit, but it has to do with don't silence the word of God by your attitude towards it. Where do I get that? Well, I get it from verse number 20. Notice what he says. Do not despise prophecy. What is he saying? He said, don't disdain it. Don't treat it with contempt or as something to be loathed or something to be looked down upon. As most preachers lament in their day as they write their books to other preachers, preaching has fell on hard times in our day. Well, it may have, but part of it comes with this attitude that we have when it is as we hear the Word of God proclaimed to us. And he's saying here to this church that you're not to despise or think little of it. Now, there is argument whether or not this is corrective. In other words, the Thessalonians were some in the church were despising what the prophets were saying or what God was saying to them from from the teachers. And so they become a a little hardened to to the gift of prophecy or the instructions which God had given them. And and which may be the case. We don't know exactly. We do know in 2 Thessalonians, you can turn there with me. Paul does mention that many were coming and many were stirring up the church with different prophecies and different things that they were speaking. You find Second Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse number 2. They're not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. In other words, that just means out of control. That's a good word for us today because it feels like it. We're, we get there, right? We're just so worked up and out of our senses because of uh, life in 2020. But nevertheless, he says, don't be shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So it may have been something like this going on in the church of Thessalonians where people were just, they're just tired of it. You ever been there? You're just tired of it and you didn't want to hear anymore. So there may have been this kind of disdain which was going on with prophecy. Uh, Then again, it may not be corrective. We don't know. That's just conjecture. It may be instructive which I think it is for us, speaking to the attitude by which we come to hear the word of God. We come with a delight as we read in Psalms chapter number one. But his what? Isn't that amazing that he says that? When he speaks about what he doesn't do and the people, you know, he doesn't, you know, he's not around. He says, but his delight, what he loves, what he longs for, what, what excites him is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, does he meditate day and night? And by the way, you're not going to meditate in the law of the Lord if you do not delight in it day and night. And so we see this kind of attitude, which I think Paul is trying to foster here by saying not to despise prophecy, not to despise them. Now, he uses the word prophecy, and I just want to uh, mention this just for our understanding uh, today. It uses the word prophecy, which has been looked at in different ways in our church uh, and in different ways in the body of Christ today, namely two different. We'll look at that in a moment. But in the Old Testament, prophets spoke or proclaimed the word of God. 
They were to call the the Israelites out. They were to expose their sins, as you read in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and all these Old Testament prophets and many in the Kings and Chronicles, those things. The prophets uh, declared the sins of the people, the glaring uh, missteps according to God's covenant and his command for them. They were to... Uh, they were to declare the word of God. They were to call the people back to covenant faithfulness. That's what they were doing. They were exposing their sins. And in that exposing, they were calling them back to covenant faithfulness. In other words, you've sinned against God. And he says in Isaiah, though your sins be as scarlet, come to him and they shall be white as snow. As you find in Isaiah chapter number one. And they also involve those famous words in the Old Testament. Thus saith what? So you know, you've read that, haven't you? Thus saith the Lord. So they spoke authoritatively. When the prophets spoke, their prophecy was declared as being God's very own word. So thus saith the Lord. They're not, the children of Israel was not to argue or debate or any of those things. They, they were to see that as this is God's word to us. And part of that involved uh, the declaration of judgment on the nation and hope or salvation which is sometimes what we consider when we think about prophecy, is they predicted, told the future, they prophesied of the coming Christ and many different things like that, as you find in the Old Testament. The New Testament prophets spoke in similar fashion as the Old Testament, declaring the word of the Lord to his people. And you see that throughout the New Testament, the book of Acts, and and many of the minor prophets. Now, the question that we have in our day is, does this gift continue? And we still see this same thing going on as you see in the Bible days. And, and really the church has been divided on two fronts. One is uh, continuationists who believe uh, that the gift, this gift among other gifts, continues until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It just continues on. We should seek it. We continue uh, speaking and desiring prophecy in the manner we see in the Bible. John Piper, who falls into this group, rather loosely, more on a conservative side, defines prophecy as a spontaneous revelation from the Holy Spirit. But it is fallible and in need of sifting because our perception of revelation and our thought about it and our delivery of it are fallible. So let me just describe what he's saying there. That he views prophecy and what he see here even in First Thessalonians as a spontaneous uh, word from the Holy Spirit, revelation from the Holy Spirit, but he says that spontaneous revelation is fallible. Therefore, we need to check it, engage it, and all those things like that. Now, to the degree people view this, and it is important because it is something that we face in the church today uh, and in our society today, to, to the degree that people believe this is all over the map. They go from John Piper to a more out everything that they say, thus says the Lord, God told me, God spoke to me, and all these different things like that, uh, which lead off into some very erroneous and harmful, dangerous doctrines and teachings. A cessationist point of view is the other, uh, which, similar to its name, believes that certain gifts are sign gifts, and they're, they're given to the church in its infancy. So when the church began, uh, God gave certain gifts to the church, and and those gifts were to establish the church. We see that in Ephesians 4. He gave them apostles and then gave them prophets. And you see that kind of progression of those gifts. Uh, they believe that concerning the gift of prophecy would be one of those gifts which has been done away with at the end of the apostolic age. So after the first century, um, uh, when the word of God was being uh, finished or completed, 
that gift would have died out or ceased to exist in the way we see. I want to give you some plain things and truths, declarations that we believe before we look at its implications. One is we believe here at ABC, and I think it's rightly so, we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. And by that, we believe that and affirm that uh, Scripture has been given to us by the work of the Holy Spirit, through the prophets, by the will of God. You find that in, in 2 Peter chapter number 2, verse number 21, not according to their own. And we believe it's delivered to us in an infallible and inerrant manner. In other words, what we have here, these 66 books, are given to us by God, infallible, inerrant, without error, without falsehood, and without contradiction. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, not only that it's come to us infallible and inerrant, but that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness in this life through His, through His Word. So you see that, I think that's very clear. Secondly, the canon of Scripture, and that's these 66 books you have in your lap, uh, the canon of Scripture is complete. It's a complete book. Genesis to Revelation, the beginning to the end, and there is no... No further additions. I know at some point in church history, or some point, I guess, in the, they made a movie, The Vinci Code or whatever, and they come out with this idea, oh, wait a minute, the church lost some books of the Bible, you know, and they came floating around, the book of Judas and the book of Thomas and all this other stuff. It isn't that the church lost them. They recognized as they looked at the books, compared it with the rest of the Bible, and said, this is a contradiction, this is wrong, and they totally rejected them as being God's word, and they were right in doing what they did. And so we believe the canon is closed. John Stott is helpful as he makes this statement concerning prophets and prophecies and those things like that. He says, it should not be difficult for us to agree that in the primary sense in which apostles and prophets appear in Scripture, namely as organs of divine revelation and infallible teachers, there are no more. There are no more. The Bible says that the church is built upon the foundation of the the apostles and Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. There's no need to lay the foundation again. It's been laid for us and preserved for us in God's holy word that you have in front of you. And I think Stott is right. If the prophetic office still existed, as some claim it does, and the apostles existed, as some claim it does, what they say and what they teach ought to consist of the 67th book of the Bible. I think even John Piper would agree that when the When the man says, thus saith the Lord, you might as well write it down because he's trying to say this is your next book of the Bible, which is in error. Stock goes on to say that in a secondary sense, God gives remarkable degree of insight to either scripture and interpretation or to its application to the contemporary world or into his particular will for particular people in a particular situation. So we're not saying that God does not move or people don't have insight into the Word of God as God illuminates our minds and eyes as we look at the Word of God and teach and those things like that. The Holy Spirit is evident in teaching in the ministry of the church, but not in the way you see uh, in giving to us the Word of God and the New Testament and the Old Testament. 
Uh, I would also argue that one must also note when Paul speaks to Timothy, he, he tells him and instructs him to primarily focus his attention and his mind on studying the word of God to be a workman that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He says all of your attention and all of your effort should be in this. This will be what makes you an effective minister. And why does he say that and why should we not despise the preaching and teaching of God's word? Well, he tells him, doesn't he? Because it is in these, these scriptures that you've been taught from a youth that are able to make you wise unto salvation. Unto salvation. And that is the same thing true today. How do you know what salvation is? How do you know that you need salvation? How do you know who to believe? Or what does it mean to believe? Or what does it mean to look like someone who has believed? How do you know any of that stuff? Well, I mean, you have options. You could go out and you could kind of look at the stars and the horoscope and the newspaper and all that other stuff that, that avails you. Or you could just kind of subjectively feel a certain way and, and just kind of work it out. Two plus two equals four, so this must be right. You could do that or you could come to the only revelation and source that we have that God has given to us. And that is his holy word. We know what God has said about life and about death, about salvation and eternity, about our own necessity, about the sufficiency of Christ and Christ alone. We say we know all of these things because God is not silent. He speaks. That should, that should excite our hearts because we're not left here groping around in the dark. What is the will of God? What, what does he want from humanity? How do, we, how do we have comfort in all these other things? How do we know these things? But we see from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, God said. Hebrews chapter number 1, God spoke many different ways and many different manners to the fathers, uh, to, the, uh, to the kings and to the, to the fathers, through the prophets. So we come to this understanding. We delight in his law because it is his word to us. And yet Paul warns us, not only do we see this attitude which we're to have as we come and look and listen to the word of God, but this assessment that we're to give to it. Now, where do I get that? Well, I get it in the following verse, verse number 21. But test everything. Now, that's a good general rule. We should test everything to its goodness, its quality, its Christ-likeness, to, to how, it, how it helps us live our faith and, and, and in the gospel and those things like it. But here, I think he's going back to this reality of prophecy. To the word of God which being taught to the people there. He says, don't just take everything you hear gullibly. Can I use that word? Everyone knows what that is, right? Just buy everything coming and going. There's so many people speaking and trying to, trying to get a voice into the world and speak. And books being uh, written and all this stuff that, that's coming at us. He says, there must be an exercise of discernment. You must assess whether what you're hearing is true or whether it's false. That's the language that he's using here uh, in this testing. It is to test the validity of a metal. Uh, We could use it in coins to test whether a coin was a genuine coin or a counterfeit. We know that in money, right? We, well, I guess we heard and we've read about it, watched it in movies. There are certain things, bills that look like the real thing, but are what? Well, they're not. No, no better than, than going out and buying something with Monopoly. And he says that, that in that same sense, we as the people of God, we that give ourselves to listening, whether it's the encouragement of someone else or whether it's preaching or teaching, whatever it is, we assess what they're saying uh, with, 
with the word of God or with certain tests to see whether or not it is true. I want to share four things with you if you write them down. I, I hope will be an encouragement and help to you as we look at this subject. Four things that the Bible gives us to assess the message. Now, we know, we've heard in the Bible what would take place. People would rise up in the church say, I have a word from God. Or they would, they would say they're a prophet and, and maybe they're a traveling guy or whatever it may be. And they're just running around and, and trying to, to get notoriety for themselves or a place of prominence in the church. Paul dealt with that in Corinth and many other places you see. James, Jude deals with it. James deals with it. Uh, Paul deals with it in Titus and Timothy and all other places. It was a prominent issue. It's a prominent issue in our day. Just click on the TV and listen to the guys on there. Or look on your Facebook feed if you got that Facebook account and just look at all the people's being shared on there. You have both. You have the joy of some people really giving the good news of Jesus Christ. You have some people that's just spewing out poison and destroying people. Uh, damnable doctrines, doctrines of devils, as uh, Paul calls it in one place. But he goes on here, there are certain tests that the Bible gives us. The first one I want to share with you this morning is the test of the plain truth of Scripture. Not just are they get a, getting up in front of people or, or they got a little platform, they got a YouTube or whatever, they may, and they just go on about whatever they want to go on about. Is what they're saying found in the Bible? Not in some obscure place like first hesitations where you you know if you if you've got a PhD you can find it somewhere. No, is it clearly taught in the Word of God? You look in the book of Acts in chapter number 17, as Paul's dealing with Thessalonica, and he leaves Thessalonica after several weeks, three weeks of ministry, and he goes to a place called Berea. And as he goes there, he begins preaching the same gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and the Bible says, now, the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. In verse number 11, they received the word with all eagerness. That's the attitude. But notice the assessment that he mentions here. They were examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Paul was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Messiah has come. You know what they did? Well, that is the most exciting thing they ever heard. And they went home and they pulled out their Old Testament, you know. It was a scroll. They rolled it out and they started looking. Is it really in here? Why? Because if it isn't, they didn't embrace it. There's no need to accept it. And I think that the test that we must put on things today, is it in the Bible? Is it truly what the Word of God teaches? Not something ripped out of its context or ripped out of its character and, and abused or used any way we want to use it, but is this plainly what the Bible teaches? Plainly what the Bible teaches Remember, it's a great statement if you want to write it down, that the main things are the plain things in the Word of God. The main things are the plain things. But secondly, not only do we test it by the fact of whether or not it's in the Word of God, but test it based upon the person of Jesus Christ. What are they saying about Christ? Uh, John Stott says this has to do with the, the God-man. Both the divine human nature of Jesus Christ. John speaks about this in chapter number 4 of 1 John as he tells us that we're to test and try the spirits whether they be from God. How are we to do this? Now what does he mean by test the spirits? He means in that context people coming in saying I have a word from the Lord. And John's saying how do we know that they have a word from the Lord? Or not? And he's saying well, see exactly what they're saying about Jesus Christ. And 
And he goes on and says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. John, Jesus tells us in chapter number 15, verse 26, when the Spirit of God comes, he will testify of who? Not of himself, not the Spirit will not testify of himself, but he will testify of Jesus. And so we must be careful to listen as we hear the Word of God being preached. What are they saying about our Savior? What are they saying about Christ in the midst of this? That's why we reject Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness. And I don't know, I've not had anyone come to my door here. I know in Tennessee we used to have people that would come around and knock at your door, come by twos, one one group came by three. I don't know what that was all about, but but they come by your door, knocking on your door, and one one group, Jehovah's Witness, says, well, well, do you know anybody you can recommend us to? I said, absolutely not. Why would I do that? You know, they don't believe in Christ. They use the word Jesus. They use salvation. They use eternity and heaven and hell and those languages like that. But what is it when you get down to the heart of the matter? What is it they're saying about Jesus? Well, they're saying Jesus is the first created being. He created everything else with him. He's not God. He's not meant to be worshipped and, and, and all the other stuff that they go along with that. Mormonism believes that Jesus is the Son of God, among many other sons of God, and, and just like his spiritual brother, the devil. So why don't we give ear to these things? Why do we reject these wholeheartedly? Because of what they say, first and foremost, clearly about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And denying Christ, denying who he is, his, his divinity and his humanity, you deny the validity of the message itself. You test it, not only does the Bible teach this plain truth of Scripture, but what does it say about, what do they say about Jesus Christ? Thirdly, what does it say about the free gospel of grace? Paul says in the book of Galatians, some of the strongest words you hear as he is lamenting over a church who's going back into legalism. He said, you began with grace. Will you finish your, your case? Will you become perfected by, by the law? I mean, you, you started out with the free gift of God's grace, and now you're going to earn your way. That's how it's all going to work out. He makes this statement at the beginning of the chapter, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you the gospel, contrary to the one which we preach to you, let him be damned. Let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. What is he saying? He's saying that, that as you come and consider the message that, that goes out continually day in and day out, what are they saying about the gospel? Either it's all by grace based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ, or we're, we just got a little help out and a little, you know, maybe a get out of jail pass and we're still playing Monopoly or whatever it may be. We, we got another chance at life, whatever it is. No, either we're resting in Christ and that's what the gospel says, or, or what they're saying is, is completely erroneous and false. What is it saying about the gospel of grace? And then fourthly, I think as we look at assessing the message given to us, we must assess the character of the person. The character of the person. Jesus points to the life of the prophet. We see that in Matthew chapter number 7 where he says, You will know the false prophet by what? By their fruit. By the lives they live. 
Paul speaks about those who claim to know God and they deny him by their works, by their very deeds. And in one sense, they can have this great confession about being from God, a servant of God, in which you know a lot of people borrow that title in our day, right? He says, but look at their life, the way they live, the way they carry themselves, everything about them, everywhere else is denying the very existence of God in them. He says they deny them by their works. They're living based upon their own carnality, sensuality. Their God is their belly, the Bible tells us, and we are not to give ear to them. Paul gives us two different places in the Word of God speaking about the character of the minister, that it must match the message that he is to give. Fifthly, and and you can make, uh, I won't elaborate on this, but not only do we assess the message of God through the clear teaching of the word of God, through the person of Jesus Christ, through the free gift of the gospel of grace, through the character of the person, but also through the edification of the church. And you can cross-reference that in 1 Corinthians 14.3. What are they doing when they speak? What is the whole purpose of it all? Are they trying to build up the church or are they trying to tear it down? There's a difference, isn't there? And there's, a, there's, a, there's a mean-spiritedness that, that conveys itself as being a hard-nosed prophet of the day. Now, there's times that the Word of God is tough. Have you ever read it and you've just been like, you just felt like you just, it was rough. You confront it and it, it ends up confronting you in the, in the process of it as it confronts our day. And, and that is necessary as it deals with sin in our own life. But there is a mean-spiritedness about, about it that has no uh, God has no part of. And so we must not only consider our attitude towards the word of God, but we also must assess the words that are spoken to us. Thirdly, and I'll close with this, the action the word of God calls us to. Notice with me at the end of verse number 21. We're to test everything. And the result of that is twofold. One, we're to hold fast to what is good. As you consider and as you you hear the word of God being preached and being exposed to it, he's saying that that which is good, we're to cling on to. We're to hold on to it. Don't let it slip away or don't let it be just something that you hear that's great, that's awesome, that's a great speech or whatever it may be. But but that which God says to you through his word, through his his message, we're we're to take and we're to internalize it, we're to bring it in, hold it, hold on to it. And how do we do that? Well, we do it by receiving the word with faith. Receiving the word of God with faith. We mix it with faith. We hear with faith. This is what God has said. This is God's word. This is God's will for me. I don't always do that. Sometimes we can hear things and we can walk out and we're like the seed in the soil. We just, as soon as we get outside, we talk about dinner or talk about lunch. We don't even get outside, right? We talk about lunch before we get out and, and we're like, yeah, well, that was a great sermon. And someone asked someone else, what was it about? I don't know, but it was great. You know, how many of you ever been there? <laughs> don't raise your hand. <laughs> I'm watching. No. <laughs> But he's not saying that we're to treat the word of God like that or God speaking to us like that. We're to, we're to hold on to it. We're to hear it as God speaks to us and he is meant to expose us. And as we receive that, we receive it by faith. It is amazing that faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And in that, as we hear it, we mix, we, we believe it. This is God's will and word for my life. 
It's God's word that I should not despise prophecy or not despise his word being taught. It should not become bored or, or feel contempt for the word of God as it's being proclaimed. We're to hold fast to what is good. It also means not only we hear and believe the word, but that we obey the word as it is proclaimed to us. We're to obey it. This is God's will for my life, and by God's grace, through the help of the Holy Spirit, this is how I want to, to live. Secondly, not only are we to hold fast what is good, but we're to abstain from every form of evil. Now let me just say this, and in a general sense, that is good and as an exhortation for every one of us about everything. You are to abstain, not to flirt with, not to dance around with, not to see how close you can get with every, every form of evil. It's amazing that there's a singularity in that which is good as opposed to the multiple kind of language that he's using here, the, the multiple ways we see that which is evil. And yet we are to remove ourselves from every form of evil. This could be speaking about a lot of things, as we've said, but I think it's closely connected with the instruction of those who have proven to be false teachers. I don't have anything to do with them. I don't share them, don't like them, don't listen to them, don't have any part of that. Don't follow their words and don't follow their pattern of living. He's instructing the church as they look and consider to a place that, that really is gathered around the word of God. I mean, even this morning, we come and we, we sing the word, we, we pray the word and the promises of God as we communicate to God. We, we rejoice in what God is doing in the lives of others this morning. And, and, and then we gather around to hear some guy go on about listening to the word for the next 40 minutes or however long it is. It, we're really gathered around. And he's saying in the midst of that, we are to, to consider whether this is what the Bible teaches us, how we're to live this life, how we're to receive it. And in receiving it, that there are times and ways in which we are to reject it when that which is evil is being promoted. Someone once said this, and I think it is right, as goes the pulpit, so goes the church. But it isn't just the pulpit. It's all the other venues that you have, all the other voices that's just feeding into your life. It's through the people you listen to on, on radio or I don't guess people listen to the radio. How many of you listen to the radio? Anybody? One? Nancy? Four of us. <laughs> I don't, so anyway. <laughs> uh, no matter what venue you listen to those people, but it's also in the, in the advice and the encouragement you receive from one another we're to cling and hold fast to that which is good and we're to, to have nothing to do with that which is evil. We need to be thinking, discerning people. We're not to disconnect our minds and just receive everything that comes at us because, well, after all, somebody's standing in a position where it, it sounds like it should be right. No, we're to assess those things. We're delighted when we hear God speak. Assess those things, see whether or not they're true, and if they are, we're to, by God's grace, hold fast to that. Uh, for his glory and our good. With that, let's let's pray this morning. Dear Father, we thank you so much for this time this morning. Lord, we thank you for just the reminder that you speak to us continually in many different ways as as we hear your word being preached and proclaimed and taught and and even shared among one another. The Bible tells us to do that, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And Lord, we pray that you would help us as a church to be discerning, help us to, to sift through, but Lord, also help us to delight. 
Oh, give us a delight for your word, as the psalmist said, a longing and a hunger and thirst after what you have said. Let it be our meditation day and night. Lord, I thank you for this time we gather together this morning. I pray for our church. I pray for those who are not able to be here this morning, God, that you would, that you would bless them wherever they are. Those that are at home watching and those who, who are sick and those who are traveling, God, that you would just fill them and encourage them. Uh, throughout this day. Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning. And maybe there are some of us here who, who just uh, become numb to your word and become cynical to, uh, to preaching and, and hearing it shared, whatever it may be. God, I pray that you'd work that out in their life. Convict them, show them of that, and that you'd lead them to repentance. And Lord, as always, if someone here does not know you this morning, I pray even today that you would bring them into the kingdom of God. Let them mix the hearing of your word with faith and that they may know what it is to truly have everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen.